Well, I could use a steady diet of that. How about you? Those young voices are strong and sure, and uh, it's wonderful to hear them praising God in God's house. What a wonderful day we are enjoying today. One of the most brilliant minds in American history belonged to a man named Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was for many years the pastor of a Congregationalist church in Northampton, Massachusetts. And for a brief time before his death in 1758, he was the president of Princeton University. He was one of the leaders of what is known as the First Great Awakening a great religious revival that swept across the American colonies from 1734 to 1744. That he is perhaps best known for one of his sermons, a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In that sermon, he describes the state of the lost in very vivid, picturesque terms hanging by the thinnest of threads over a lake of fire representing the wrath of God, one frail heartbeat from an eternity of destruction. Many souls undoubtedly escaped the fires of hell because of that sermon, because it put the fear of God in their hearts, so they repented of their sins they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation and were saved. We don't hear all that many sermons nowadays that put the fear of God in people's hearts. Our culture, our society has drifted away from a respect and a regard for the power of God and the authority of God. Hell is understood to be some mythical or legendary place that isn't really real. Society has lost those components of an earlier time in our religious history when people could be moved by a concern over the authority of God falling upon them and the power of God judging them. You may be surprised to learn that no one in the Bible speaks more clearly and explicitly of hell than Jesus Himself. And no one warns of the danger of not respecting God more clearly and explicitly than does Jesus. There is one saying of Jesus in particular that incorporates both of those ideas at once. It is a haunting verse that is both encouraging and sobering at the same time. And if we take it seriously, we'll have less fear of what people can do to us and more respect for the awesome power of Almighty God. The text for this morning's message is one verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. It's verse 28, and because it's just one verse, I won't ask you to stand as I read it, but I will ask you to listen, if you will. And Jesus was preparing His disciples to send them out on mission to share the gospel, to proclaim repentance and salvation through Him. And He shares with the disciples this verse 
In verse 28 of Matthew 10, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now this short verse of Scripture begins with really a word of encouragement. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. Now we hear Jesus say that a lot through the Gospels. In fact, we find it all through the Scriptures because as human beings we are inclined toward being fearful, it seems. What is it that you are afraid of? People fear a lot of different things. We call them phobias, which comes actually from the Greek word used in this text. We put that suffix on various words to describe different kinds of fears, don't we? Aquaphobia, for example, is fear of water. Acrophobia is a fear of heights. Many of us would have that malady. Arachnophobia, a fear of spiders. And on and on and on it goes. There is some description like that for almost every sort of fear that we can have. Some years ago, David Walashinsky, Irving Wallace, and Amy Wallace put together a book of lists. And in that book, they listed the ten worst human fears. And here they are from ten all the way up to the worst, which is one. Number ten, people are afraid of dogs. Number nine is loneliness. Number eight is a fear of flying. Number seven is the fear of death. Now that means six things outranked death in the ranking of fears of human beings. Number six is sickness. Number five, number four, number three in order are deep water, financial problems, and bugs. Number two on the list, we've already mentioned, that's a fear of heights. You know what the number one fear on the list of people that they surveyed and talked to? Fear of speaking in front of a group. Now death came in at number seven and fear of public speaking, number one. You know what that means? It means that at most funerals, people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> we are afraid of all kinds of different things, but fear is considered by science to be a survival instinct. But not all fears are rational, are they? Some people live their lives in fear of things that in reality, don't pose any danger at all. And there's a whole industry in our culture making money on people's fears. You see a lot of it on cable news these days. They try to scare us about things that many times we shouldn't be afraid of at all. Here's a, a little interesting example. Did you know that pickles cause cancer, airline and auto accidents, and certain death? Here are the statistics. Evidence reveals 90% of cancer victims had eaten pickles at some time in their lives. So have 94% of those involved in car and airplane accidents. And on top of that, 
Of those people who were born in 1839, those who ate pickles have suffered a 100% mortality rate. <laughs> Every one of them is gone. Now those statistics may be true, but it's absurdly obvious that there's no cause and effect relationship between eating pickles and suffering all of these horrible things. But there are nevertheless a lot of people living in fear every day on the basis of statistics and information that is just as meaningless and irrelevant. Jesus encourages His disciples not to fear what people can do to them. Now what He's talking about here is being faithful in the face of potential persecution. These disciples were going to go out spreading a message that would have been uh, somewhat contrary to the stream of thought in the Jewish environment of their day. He's telling them not to be afraid of what anyone might do to them because of that, even though it's a message of good news, it's a message of liberation, it's a message of salvation. There are always those in positions of, of power or authority who, who want to maintain that at whatever cost. So he's telling them, don't be afraid of what men can do to you. Now the thought of persecution is naturally a frightening thing. Suffering is not pleasant, even when we do it in the name of and on behalf of our Lord Christ. In our context, in modern-day United States of America, we don't have much fear of physical persecution, as it were, for our beliefs. But what we do seem to fear, and what is of great concern, is what people will think of us for our faithfulness to Christ. What people will think of us if we have a bold witness for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We're concerned about whether they'll think we're normal or not, or maybe they'll consider us to be some sort of religious fanatic if we talk about Jesus and what Jesus means to us. We're not so much afraid of the sword of persecution as we are afraid of what others will consider us to be or think about us in our faith. But if Jesus tells us not even to fear death, why should we be afraid of what people think of us for our faith? Indeed, Jesus warns us about that just a few verses farther down. In verses 32 and 33 of Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And there is nothing that could be worse than being disowned by Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the, the Lord of all the universe. We should acknowledge Jesus. Literally, the word there is confess Jesus. We should confess Jesus before men and do it boldly without fear of what anyone thinks. After all, the Bible says in Romans 8, If God be for us, who can be against us? God is on our side. God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus Christ is the most uh, central figure in all of human history. 
One day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why should we be afraid to boldly claim that in our lives? Acknowledge our allegiance to Jesus, our identification with Jesus. Too often we, we are. But if we fear God... We don't have anything to fear from men. William Barclay, in his commentary, reports that it was said of the reformer John Knox, as they buried him, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared any man. Feared God so much he never feared a human being. But those who have no fear of God and no respect for God, will suffer eternal consequences. Jesus gave this word of encouragement not to be afraid of people, but then in verse 28 there's something a bit different at the second part of the verse. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, to whom does this refer? You might be inclined, because of the mention of hell here, to think that Jesus is somehow talking about the evil one, the devil, Satan. But no, that's not the reference at all. In Hebrews chapter 2 it says, The devil has the power of death, but he has no power of his own to destroy a soul in hell. And nowhere in the New Testament are we told to fear Satan. On the contrary... In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's afraid of you if you resist him, if you stand strong for your, for your faith, for your dependence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. No, don't be afraid of him. Rather, be afraid of the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Your English translation may capitalize the word one because it's a reference to Almighty God, the only one who has the power to do such things. It is God above all else that we should fear and respect. But what does it mean to fear God or to fear the Lord? The American Heritage Dictionary has one definition of fear that is this, extreme reverence or awe as toward a supreme power. Extreme reverence or awe as toward a supreme power. Now, that's what we're talking about here. It's about respect for the power and the authority of God. And certainly we should fear God in that way. We should have awe and respect for Him beyond anything else that awes us or, or demands our respect. Now, I'll give you three reasons why we should do it. Number one, the Bible commands it. In Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. You see, the fear and the awe are used synonymously, interchangeably in that example of Hebrew parallelism. That's the kind of fear of God 
that the scripture is speaking of. 1 Peter 2.17 says simply, fear God. Revelation 14.7, fear God and give Him glory. From the Old Testament through the, the New, fear God. Respect God. Give God His due. The Bible commands it. Second reason is that it's the wise thing to do. In both the Psalms and Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Brandon read that in his scripture reading earlier in the service. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the wise thing to do. And finally, a third reason is that God blesses those who fear Him, who respect Him, who honor Him. Psalm 34, 9 says, Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. God takes care of those who respect Him, who listen to Him, who follow Him, who give Him His due. Now you might ask, isn't it contradictory to think of fearing a loving God? And we know how loving God is. The scripture is chock full of assertions and statements of God's love for us as His creation. God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did that while we were still sinners. He demonstrated His love for us in that. We talk often and, and, and strongly about the love of God which is beyond our ability to comprehend or to consider. How do we reconcile this, this fearing God when God is such a God of love? Well, a lot of people these days can't figure it out. They, they want to talk about God's love and if this is a God of love then how can God ever punish or or uh, judge anyone. That, that just is incongruent, they think. Well, let me tell you, when I was growing up, I loved my dad, and my dad loved me. He fed me, he clothed me, he put a roof over my head, he sent me to school. But let me tell you this, the beginning of wisdom in my young life was a healthy respect for my dad's authority and a mortal fear of his judgment on my misbehavior if I ever disobeyed. Amen. They're not incompatible at all. We understand that, those of us who were brought up back in the day, right? We know how that works. There's no contradiction there. The Scripture says the Lord disciplines those He loves. Just the way my father disciplined me, the way I hope your parents discipline you, the way you parents discipline your children and your grandchildren. You do it because you love them. And that's why God disciplines us. That's why God deserves our awe, our respect. And we should stand in awe of Him and fear of His judgment, the same way I stood in fear of the judgment of my father when I was a boy. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And this, my friends, is where the prospect of hell should scare the hell out of us. 
Jesus spoke explicitly of hell. He does so in this verse. It's the word Gehenna. It's actually a sort of a Hebraism. It's a reference to the Valley of Hinnom. It was a valley south and east of the old city of Jerusalem. It had once been a place of worship of a heathen god named Molech, where babies were burned alive in human sacrifice there. It was, it was, a, it was a place that was so defiled, it was unusable for anything of worth or value. And it became the garbage dump for Jerusalem. They threw their trash out there. They would throw dead animals out there. Even bodies of criminals were thrown there in the valley of Hinnom, a henna, a, a hell, as Jesus uses it. And fires burned continuously there in that place for sanitary reasons. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus describes hell as a maggot-infested place where the fire is never quenched. He describes it as a place of darkness, full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because those who are there are excluded from the light of life and all that is good and, and worthy and useful. This is where God throws those who can not be used. It's a trash dump, if you will. That's how Jesus speaks of it. It's the refuse heap of eternity, and even the mere thought of ending up there should, should sober us in life. It should strike terror and respect in our hearts. It's the ultimate end for everyone who refuses to respect God and acknowledge Him acknowledge His grace toward us. It's like throwing God's grace back in His face. That's what the rebel does. That's what marks us as, as being fit only for where God is not, which is by definition hell. Anywhere God is not. Because God is all that is good. God is light. God is life. And it is the final Resting place, if you will, of every sinner in the hands of an angry God. But in spite of this warning, many still have no fear of God. God never intended that we wind up somewhere like that. We only wind up there because we ourselves make the choice to refuse God, to reject God, to make our own way, to serve ourselves rather than Him or anyone else. And there are those who do. Paul describes them in Romans chapter 3. He says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For everyone who refuses to give God the respect He deserves, an eternity away from God is where He will spend all of His future. Dallas Willard says something that's 
humorous but true. He says, hell is just the best God can do for some people. And it's true. God's love is boundless, but for some people, the best that can be done for them is hell. Separation from God and all that's good for all eternity. Jesus said we should fear God, not men. But how often do we do just the opposite of that? The words of Jesus give us a haunting warning. People may be able to kill our bodies, but God's judgment extends beyond the grave to those who refuse to acknowledge Him, respect Him, yield to Him. The power of men is insignificant when compared to the power of Almighty God. He should be our first concern. He is our Creator. He is the one to whom we owe our very lives. How impertinent is it to turn our backs on the one who created us, who acted to redeem us, who extends forgiveness to us even in the midst of our sin. God is the one whose feelings we need to be concerned about. God is the one whom we need to live to please. That's what Jesus is trying to say here to us. Hugh Latimer was an English bishop, a prominent figure in the Protestant Reformation in England during the first half of the 16th century. And he understood very well the meaning of our text this morning, Matthew 10, 28. Latimer feared God more than any man. He was true to his faith. He was ultimately burned at the stake during the purge of the Protestants under Queen Mary who executed so many Protestant Christians she came to be known as Bloody Mary. But on one occasion, Hugh Latimer was preaching when King Henry VIII was present and was listening to what Latimer was saying. And Henry wasn't known for his kindness toward those who displeased him, as you know. He he beheaded two of his six wives, after all. But Latimer came to a point in his message when he knew he was about to say something that the king would not like. And he stopped and spoke to himself. He said, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. Henry the king is here. But then after pause for a bit more thought, he said, Latimer... Be careful what you say. The King of Kings is here. It's better to be a faithful Christian in the hands of an angry king than an unrepentant, rebellious sinner in the hands of an angry God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your love. We sing about it, we talk about it, we revel in it. We're so grateful for it. It is our only hope, the love and the grace that you've extended toward us. But God, let us not forget the fate of those who reject that love, who resist your grace, who turn away from you in their insolence and their stubborn rebellion. God, remind us 
of the penalty that those who do so will face. May it inspire us to be more faithful in standing for Christ, in sharing the good news of salvation with those who need to hear it. Lord, we entrust all of the rebels to you. You will do what is right in their case. God, may we hear the words of Jesus this morning and not be afraid of those who can only kill our bodies. You are the one who can preserve us for all eternity. You have the power of resurrection. You've demonstrated that power in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that that might embolden us in our witness, in our Christian living, in our willingness to step out of our comfort zones and to stand up for you and for your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Make it so, God. We pray all of this in His name. Amen.